I'm just curious, does anyone else, when they see the beginning of that and they hear that alarm clock going off, does, that, does anyone else, does that fill you with panic and dread? Just like for a second, you're like, oh, it's okay, it's okay, yeah, yeah, me too. We're in a series called Hollow. Again, my name is Dion, I want to welcome all of you. Uh, we're in a series called Hollow where we're looking at the things that, that often rob us of our abundance, our fullness in life, in faith, in our churches, and sometimes they're the things that we just wouldn't expect. Um, before I dive into today's message, though, I just want to put in a, a plug, a reminder for next weekend. It is our Neighborhood Walk Weekend, where we will not meet here at St. John for regular service. Instead, wherever you are, even if you're traveling, we encourage you to tune into live stream. Saturday night or Sunday morning. It'll be a 15-minute kind of message and explanation about what this is all about. Then you're going to lace up your shoes and you're going to go on a walk, either on your own, with your family, with your small group, your life group, your friends, other neighbors. And the goal is just to walk through our communities. And it's not a demonstration. It is not, it is not like a, a, an evangelistic thing even where you're supposed to talk to people about Jesus or pray with people directly. You can if you want to, but that's not the point. The point is simply just to walk. And as you walk, look at homes and pray for the people who live in them and look at businesses and pray for business owners and pray for our local government, and we're just asking God's favor and blessing over our community, and that's it. And so wherever you are, we encourage you to do that. We're going to talk more about that later, but I just want you to know that this is so important to me. I hope you uh, will take that at least to heart and do it, even if it sounds weird or different, and you'll try it, and I really believe God will use it. So uh, back to today. Uh, you know that often in messages, I, I share a little bit of myself with you. I share my struggles. I share my imperfections. I share a lot about my not-so-flattering uh, human side. And today, I'm going to give you a break from that. Um, and instead, I'm going to tell you about Jocelyn. Jocelyn is a woman I've been married to for 17 years. Here's actually a, a picture of her from college. We met in college. That's kind of what she looked like back then. And, uh, and we met in college, and we met at a very small college. And so before I ever had a chance to really to get to know her, uh, it was small enough that I had the opportunity to stalk her for a little while. And I mean that in the most non-creepy way. I just got a chance to, to learn, learn about her a little bit. And I learned some things about her. For, for starters, I learned that she was pretty. I mean, that was pretty obvious. But I also learned that she was from a wealthier suburb in Metro Detroit. And, and I, I'd seen her dad before, and he drove a nice car. And, and so I kind of, you know, figured out some things about her family of origin that they seemed to do pretty well. And that was pretty different from how I grew up. And it was a little intimidating to me. And... And as I watched her, I also got to know that she was, uh, she was a person who was pretty popular. She was always surrounded by a, a group of people, but lots of different people. She just connected with lots of different people. And, and so, so those were some of my initial, uh, initial impressions. And then I really had a chance to get to know her better. And what I discovered is that all those things were true, but, but there was a complexity to, her, complexity to her that I didn't originally see or appreciate, which is probably true in most cases. But for her, um, for starters, I found out that her parents, um, they were in a season where they were doing well, but they were, they were scrappy small business owners. Anyone here know that life? Yeah, and you know that there are serious ups and downs to that life. And they had been through valleys, and they had been, you know, hilltops, and they were in a good season, but they had been through lots of hard seasons. And so she wasn't someone who just kind of always grew up with, with affluence. It was something that, you know, she had been through it all. And that was, that was a relief to me, because I grew up very differently. And I also got to know her, um, I got to realize that although she was popular, she was so different than a lot of her friends in a way that I just really liked. But what, what made her so popular was not that... She was shallow, or forgive me for saying that, uh, you know, maybe, but what made her popular was, was that she was someone who could relate with anyone. 
And it's still something that she can do. She can just relate and connect with anyone. One of the things that I find most beautiful about her is, is not her physical appearance. I think she is beautiful. Uh, but it's that she is a person of compassion and empathy and understanding like, like few people I've ever met. And, uh, and that was something that I learned about her. One of the other things that I learned about her is that she kind of had some quirky, interesting tastes that I really liked. And one of them was her taste in music. So uh, we, were, we were high school students and college students in the 90s, which meant that we listened to a lot of really bad music. And, uh, and Jocelyn would tell you that some of her favorite bands today are um, still Metallica and Guns N' Roses, and she would be offended that I just called that bad music. Um, Sorry, uh, but you know, it is. But, but she also had this really cool musical taste where, where she really loved other music that I'd never listened to in my life. She was a fan of the Grateful Dead. Any, any deadheads here? You can admit it, it's church, but it's okay. We, we know you just like the music, not the other stuff, right? Uh, Grateful Dead, or, um, or she loved Fleetwood Mac. And I, I knew a little Fleetwood Mac. Any Stevie Nicks Fleetwood Mac fans? Yeah, she turned me on to Fleetwood Mac. Or Van Morrison. Anyone? Van Morrison, a few of you? Yeah, I, I didn't even really know Van Morrison until I met her. And then we ended up, I like Van Morrison so much that we got engaged to a Van Morrison song. The first dance at our wedding was to a Van Morrison song. And, and so that kind of, she, she opened my eyes to a whole new genre of music. But one of Jocelyn's favorite songs in all of the world still is a song that I did not know before I met her. Uh, and in fact, I, I want you to listen to it and see if you know it. All right, anyone know the song? All right, shout it out if you know it. Anybody? Janis Joplin, and what's the song? Yeah, me and Bobby McGee. Uh, not written by her, but made famous by Janis Joplin. I never even heard that song until I met Jocelyn. And so she introduced me to that song, and I love that song. It makes me smile. I think of college. I think of Jocelyn every time I hear it. But, but you know what I, what I really love about that song is it is a song that has some really provocative lyrics. And there's a lyric in particular that I just find so fascinating. And for a second, I'm just going to invite you to play Guess What I'm Thinking, Guess What Dion's Thinking, and you can climb into my brain and try to guess which lyric in the song is, this, is the lyric that I find so provocative. Anyone, anyone brave enough to try to get in here? Uh, it's one of the most standout lyrics in the whole song. Anybody? Just guess. Yeah. All right, here's the lyric. Someone's saying it over there. Freedom's just another word for nothing left to lose, right? Uh, freedom's just another word for nothing left to lose. What a provocative lyric. I mean, think about that for a second. I don't know if you know the song, if you've ever thought about that or study it right now. Freedom's just another word for nothing left to lose. So in other words, if you want to be truly free, then you've got to be on the rock bottom. When you've got nothing left, nothing left to lose, when everything else has been taken away from you, that's the moment in your life when you are actually truly free. It's provocative, isn't it? Let me also just register this, that for the record, I hope it's untrue. I really do, because I hope that the only way to know freedom is not being on rock bottom. I hope there's another way to know freedom. And today, I just want you to wrestle with this idea of freedom. What is freedom to you? What does it look like? Or how would you define it? See, it's interesting for us to do that, because here we are, and most of us probably here today watching online are people who are natural-born Americans. And so for us, this idea, this value of freedom is, is embedded in the very 
depths of our soul, isn't it? Here we are, a nation founded on religious liberty. I should be able to practice my faith however I want without government interference. And uh, a nation that's founded on the idea of freedom from tyranny, that my government should represent me and I should have a voice and a say in what goes on in those who, who govern over me. Uh, we've got a long history in this, this nation of a rocky relationship with freedom, even though it's a value. And, and so we, we denied freedom to a whole population of people for far too long, longer than even our European counterparts through slavery and everything that followed. But despite of all of that, freedom is our most deeply held national value, isn't it? I mean, can you think of anything that we, we just, we cling to more than freedom? But, but you know where we see this most clearly, this value for freedom? It's not in our pledge, it's not in our creeds or songs or national anthems or, you know, patriotic rallies. I think the place you see this most clearly, how much we value freedom, is in our disagreements, in our arguments. See, when we argue about things in this nation, no matter what we're arguing about and no matter what side you're on, we always argue from a basis of freedom. Have you noticed? So, so maybe we're arguing about my freedom to carry a gun, to bear arms, to keep myself safe. Or on the other side, people argue about, about my freedom to be safe from people who are either untrained or unstable and shouldn't be carrying guns, right? Either way, it's an argument from freedom. Or arguments about my freedom to be able to use a public restroom that more closely affiliates with my own sense of gender identity versus on the other side, people say, no, 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 this is about my freedom to be able to use a restroom with only people of my same biological sex. Now, now just, just, just so you know, for the record, I think the real problem here is this whole idea of sharing bathrooms, period. It's just awkward and uncomfortable to share a bathroom with anyone. I don't know why we think it's a good idea. And in my utopia, no one shares a bathroom with anyone. Everyone gets their own bathroom. Sound good? Especially those of us who are dads and we have like three women living in our houses. Like, we should never have to share bathrooms with them. There's just like long hair and hair products and I've said too much but you know like that's that's my solution to all this you know even, even when we argue though about our past and we think about um, things like the civil war how do we argue on one side we say no 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 this is about states rights this is about the rights of states to govern themselves without the infer- interference of the federal government and then on the other side we say no 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 this is about human freedom the freedom that every person has who resides in this nation always no matter what the argument no matter what the issue no matter what the side we argue from a place of freedom. And why do we do that? Because freedom is our deepest, maybe our only inviolable value. It is a thing that we cling to more than anything else. And some of us, um, you know, we look back to our founding documents and we say that's why. But today I want to look at this a different way. See, see, I think freedom is not necessarily, human freedom is not necessarily a truth that is self-evident. Because if it were, then I don't think we'd be living in a world where there's still 21 million people living in human slavery. If we all just kind of understood that, that freedom was everybody's right, then, then our world would look very different. I don't believe that freedom, human freedom, is, in, is a self-evident truth. See, freedom is something that comes from the heart of the Father, and it's rooted, it's rooted in the work of Jesus Christ, in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's where it comes from. And today we're going to look at Paul, this guy, St. Paul, the Apostle Paul, who lived 2,000 years ago, and he wrote a letter to some Christians in a region called Galatia, and we're in chapter 5 of this letter, and he's going to talk about this whole idea. So uh, let's look along. I don't have the monitor here today because we're under construction, um, but you can look along at the words behind me. Paul says, it is for freedom 
that Christ has set us free. Can I get an amen? amen. Can I get another one? Because that was kind of weak. Amen. All right, amen, amen, yeah. Uh, some of you are looking at that and you're like, is that George Washington? Is that Thomas Jefferson Declaration of Independence? Nope, it's Paul. And I think they borrowed it from Paul, this, this whole idea. Uh, I love that Paul boils down so simply the purpose and work of Jesus, of what Jesus came to do. I know theology can get complex. We make it complicated sometimes. Here Paul is making this so simple. He's saying the purpose and work of Jesus, it all comes down to this one simple thing. He says all of it is for the sake of freedom. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Don't miss this. Again, in all the complexity and everything else that we might think about and doctrinal disputes and different denominations, it's, it's so simple and clear here that the Father's whole purpose of sending Jesus into the world was so that we could be free, so that you could be free. And we're talking about a deep, soul-freeing freedom. We're talking about freedom from your past. And I know that we all have things in our past that, that just keep haunting us. Maybe there are tragedies that have happened to us and we live under the stress and, and the trauma of those things, or maybe there are things that we have done and we live under the regret and the guilt and the shame of those things. The Father, hear this, the Father sent Jesus into the world so that you could be free from that, so that you could see God redeem those things that happened to you that are traumatic and somehow bring life out of those things. The Father sent Jesus into the world so that those things that you've done, those things that you feel so ashamed about, that they could be washed away, they could be taken away, and you could, you could just be free from those things. The Father sent Jesus into the world so that you could be free from the weight of your struggles and your temptations and your sins and all the complications those bring into your life. The Father sent his son into the world. He sent him so that you could be free from all of the things that you're afraid of. You know, the future and what it holds um, of, of, of what might happen to you, of death itself. Because we now know that Jesus, the one who gave his life for us, is governing over this universe. And there are moments where it doesn't seem like it, when there are hurricanes hitting Texas and other things going on and people are losing property and life. And we can say, where are you, God? But, but we know that God sent his son to govern over the universe now. And he's reigning over the stars and the moons and the planets. And he's doing it with us in mind. And he's working all things out for good, even when it doesn't feel good. So we don't have to be afraid anymore. He set us free from our fears. See, freedom is the whole point Paul says. Sounds easy enough, doesn't it? <laughs> and yet it's not easy. Because in the very next breath, maybe without even taking a breath, Paul says this, stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. It's like he knows us, doesn't he? Because here's the thing about freedom. What's so crazy about freedom is the greatest threat to your freedom is not foreign invaders. It's not someone who comes along and captures you and locks you up. The greatest threat to your freedom, do you know what it is? It's you. The greatest threat to our freedom is us. It, it is the things that we allow ourselves willingly, freely to do. And that's what Paul's going to talk about today in this part of the letter. He's going to warn these people in Galatia of two things that they willingly, freely let themselves do. They, they choose to do these things, and these things are, are, are in, endangering the very fabric of their freedom, he says. And, uh, and we're going to talk about how these things, they're still relevant for us today. So the first thing he talks about is in the next verse. He says, mark my words. I, Paul, tell you, 
That if you let yourself, again, if you let yourself, if you allow yourself freely, willingly, if you, if you allow yourself to do this, allow yourself to be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. So um, for those of you who have been here this whole series, how many of you have heard enough about circumcision to last you a decade? This could be a whole new drinking game in your life group. He said circumcision again, take a shot of bottled water, whatever it is that you do. And, um, right. I I mean, over and over again, we're like, this doesn't make any sense. It's so weird. Why is he talking about this again? It's, it's a different context. He's talking about something else that we're going to get to, but, but the implication is the same. Look on verse three. He says, again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. If you allow yourself to do this out of your freedom, you will be obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law, that's how you're trying to do it. You're trying to be justified by the law. You have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. And it's so bizarre that even though we don't understand the circumcision thing, maybe it's so bizarre. You do understand this, that we as people do this. We experience the freedom of Jesus. He invites us into it. We taste it. And we say, this is, this is amazing. And before long, so often we find ourselves running back to obligations, um, traditions, ceremonies, rituals. We, we run back to things that we believe will earn us approval from God or favor from God that will somehow increase our standing before other people or before God himself that will prove our value, that will prove our worth. We're set free to have all of that stuff from Jesus and yet we find ourselves running back to doing stuff that we think somehow on our own is going to cause us to earn approval, favor, value, increase our standing. We end up, as Paul says, when we do that, obligated and alienated. Say those words with me. Obligated and alienated. And it's stuff that we willingly choose to do. But Paul goes on, he says, but instead, here's another way, for through the Spirit, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision, they don't have any value. They don't matter when you're in Jesus. The only thing that counts, the only thing that matters is faith expressing itself through love. So here's a core question here for you today. How does our righteousness, how does our standing, how does our value, how does our approval come? By showing up at church every weekend? Some of us think so. We think that's what it's just, I just come and, and then God will like me. Or, or maybe it's tithing. I, I got to write a big check and then God will like me. He'll approve of me. He'll, he'll value me. Or for a lot of us, it's, it's I, I've got to try to be a good person. And so if I'm a good person and I'm kind and I, I don't yell at people and I try to be generous and I try to be thoughtful and give people compliments, then that's how I earn my approval and value and standing. And for some of us, a lot of us, it's what we don't do. And so we have this whole list of don'ts and we say, if I can just keep myself from getting angry or hurting people or lying or cheating or or stealing or if I can keep myself from drinking too much or eating too much or smoking too much or or looking at this thing I shouldn't be looking at, then, then I'll be pleasing to God. Then I'll have value and approval and I'll have standing. And Paul says, you know, there's a good reason to avoid all that stuff, but, but if you're doing that because you think somehow you're gonna make yourself pleasing to God, that's how you're gonna become righteous before God, you are only obligated and alienated. And you're not free at all. Instead, how does this come? Paul says, it comes, our righteousness, our approval, our standing, it comes by faith. 
through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives it to us and it comes in Jesus. When we are in Christ, when we've been, been baptized in him, when we're living in him, that's when that comes. And it's so simple. It's a free gift. And yet, just like the Galatians, we make this so darn complicated. See, see Paul says that's one way that we people who've been set free find ourselves enslaved, imprisoned, under a burden. We, we won't take Jesus at his word. It seems too easy, and so we obligate ourselves under all these other things that don't really matter. But there's something else. If that first one doesn't connect to you, with you, I bet this one will. Paul goes on in verse 13. We're gonna jump ahead a few verses. He says, you, my brothers and sisters, you were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Uh, rather, instead, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. And, and hear this, and if you bite and devour each other, watch out or God won't love you anymore. No, that's not what he says. He says, if you bite and devour one each, uh, each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. See, when we think of freedom, how do we often define it? What, what do we often think when we think of freedom? We think of freedom, we think of it in this way. I can do whatever I want. That's what freedom is for us, right? If I'm truly free, freedom is not having nothing left to lose. What freedom is, I can do whatever I want. There are no consequences. I, I'm free to do whatever I want. Uh, and sometimes my kids are like, man, I can't wait till I'm a grown-up because then I can do whatever I want. And I think, you know nothing about being a grown-up because I can't remember the last time I got to do whatever I wanted, right? I mean, you're obligated under all these things. But for us, that's, that's kind of our dream. Man, if I won the Powerball, $700, $800 million, then I could just do whatever I want. That's not freedom. Uh, some of you know that's a little savage, and you go, well, of course not. And so you'd modify it in this way. You'd say, no, 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 real freedom is I can do whatever I want as long as it doesn't hurt anyone else. Right? As long as I observe this law and I'm loving my neighbor as myself, then I can do whatever I want as long as I'm not hurting anyone else. That's not freedom either. See, this is what makes freedom so complicated, I think. This is why we end up in so many bad places that we never saw ourselves going to. That, that the things that look freeing are often a trap. And, and here's the real litmus test. Real freedom, real freedom are the things that you do willingly, freely, that keep you free. And anything that burdens you, anything that enslaves you, anything that oppresses you or obligates you, no matter how free you are to do it, it's not actually freeing. It's not true freedom. If I end up burdened or enslaved, then that's not free anymore. It doesn't matter if I've got the right to do it, right? So, so, so you know this. You know this if you've ever been a college student and you've been given a credit card. You know what I'm talking about? If not, let me explain to you how this works. Um, I was a college student, you know, several years ago, and I already told you that I grew up not with a lot of resources and just kind of knew life that way. And then after a few months in college, somehow they all found me. And I would go to my mailbox every day and I'd pull these little slips of paper, these credit card applications, saying like, hey, broke college student, we want to give you money. And I thought, hey, that sounds great to me. And I started filling them out and sending them back. And they started sending me credit cards. And back in those days, um, I, I used to carry on a day timer. Anyone remember those? Yeah, I carried on a day timer. If you don't remember those, that's because you weren't as dorky as I was, probably. Um, so I carried on this big planner thing. And in the front cover of this planner, there were these like 
plastic sheets that were meant to hold business cards. You still see these things. Uh, And instead, I had two pages of those filled with credit cards. And I'm walking around with my planner, and I'm like, freedom, right? I got it all right here. And then I'm going up to girls, and I'm saying, hey, baby, you want to go out? You just pick a place, and I'll take you there, because I, I got it. And, and my room looked like, my dorm room looked like a mini Best Buy. My dad, it was teched out. It was amazing. And I'd go to the mall, and I'd be like, no, I don't need to shop off the sale rack. Show me the full price stuff, because, you know, I'm free. I can do whatever I want. And uh, this lasted maybe about three or four months, intoxicating, And then what happened? A statement started showing up. And I should tell you, like, I did not spend that much money. They must have been confused. And I started doing all the math and adding them up from all these different credit cards. And I realized that, uh, man, I was was in deep. It took me the next two and a half years working two jobs through college, putting almost every cent I earned to pay off the debt that I racked up in like three or four months. See, it's the same lesson that every kid has ever learned who's been left alone without parent supervision with a Costco-sized bag of Skittles. You're looking at that thing, you're saying, there's no way they're going to notice that any are missing. There's like 10 million of them in here, and about 50 in, you're like, this doesn't feel so freeing anymore. It's what every single adult has discovered who, who finds themselves single again right? And you're going, freedom, you know, where are the clubs? Like, take me to the bars, and, and soon you discover it's not what you think. See, Paul's whole reasoning here is, is don't indulge the flesh, not because, you know, for some holy, but don't indulge the flesh because if you do, you'll find yourself, before you know it, enslaved again. And that's not why Jesus came. He came to set you free. So whether it's indebting yourself to a bunch of religious obligations where you're trying to bust your hump to please God and to earn the approval that you already have freely in Jesus, or whether it's feeding these appetites that are destructive and so you find yourself in debt or in, depress- in depression or, or diseased or alone, Paul says, that's not why Jesus came. That's not what the Father wants for you. It is for freedom, for freedom that you've been set free. Today I ask you, I mean, is that what you want for your life? Real freedom? And a freedom that's deeper than I can do whatever I want or this is within my rights or nobody can tell me or you're not the boss of me, but, but, but real freedom a freedom that endures, a freedom that isn't getting stepped on, a freedom before God where you don't have to stand before God burdened, a freedom in front of people where we're not in debt to each other in relationships and we've got all this baggage. Real freedom? See, if you do, then Paul explains how to get it. And it's not just simply saying, well, I'm just gonna live out my liberty and do whatever I want as long as it doesn't hurt anyone. Paul explains it and here's what he says. He says, so I say, if you wanna be truly free, if you wanna wanna preserve this gift of freedom, so I say, Paul says, Walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit is his answer. And if you do, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You will not end up imprisoned again. Now here's what I know, that that as we're sitting here today, there's a good number of you who are looking at that and you're going, so walk by the Spirit, and you're saying, I don't know what that means. I, I don't know how. I don't understand that. And then I bet there are a whole bunch more of you who are sitting here today going, I, I may or may not know what that means, but, but walking by the Spirit, that doesn't sound very interesting to me, right? Because it sounds kind of pious, or it sounds like it's not a lot of fun. It sounds like a life that I maybe wouldn't want to live. Um, it sounds like it wouldn't be very free or full. 
but nothing could be further from the truth. See, if you want to know real freedom, the kind of freedom that endures, the kind of freedom that doesn't get you know, pounced on or piled on with all these other burdens and obligations and debts and pain and brokenness, if you want to know a real freedom, this is the way. You walk by the Spirit. And today, in, in closing, I just want to help you see how you do this. Because this is a life you would like very much. The first thing that you do is uh, you ask for it. You ask for the Spirit. Jesus makes this so clear. He says, hey, you earthly fathers, you know how to give good gifts to your children. And he says, well, how much more will the Heavenly Father, who, who's, who's the better father than you, frankly, how much more will the Heavenly Father, how much, how much more does he love to give the gift of the Holy Spirit to those who ask for it? You know what that says to me? It says, ask for the Spirit. Because what happens, the reason we can't walk by the Spirit, the reason we don't know is because the, the voice of our desire, the voice of our flesh, the voice of the world around us who is just you know, piling on to what the voice of, of our sinful nature says already, it, they're so loud, so loud. And you're never gonna be louder. Your self-control's not strong enough. Your willpower isn't enough. It's not about, you know, are you a good enough person or a moral enough person? The only way that you stand to even hear the voice of the Spirit is to ask for the Spirit increasingly every day, to ask for the Spirit to come into your life so fully that it drowns out the other voices. And Jesus tells you that's all you have to do. You don't have to, you don't have to do anything else other than ask, and the Father is delighted to give it to you. And so I'd encourage you every day, several times a day, when you're feeling pressured, when you're feeling flustered, when you're feeling tempted, ask for the Spirit. And this is something we do in my house a lot, and I think it matters. The second thing is, is this. You put yourself in a listening place. Um, we talk about four things here that we encourage everyone to do on their journey. Because for us, it's not just about, I go to church, I'm a Christian. This, this whole thing we're called into is an amazing journey where we get, to, we get to travel together on this journey of discovering more about who God is and what his plans are for us. And we get to find wholeness and abundance and purpose along the way. And so it's, it's about being on a journey. And so we say, hey, if you do these four things, then six months from now, you're gonna look back and you're gonna be like, Oh my gosh, I, I used to be there and now look where I am. I've moved, I've grown, I've got, I've got more of God's fullness for my life than I did back then. Uh, and I want to point out especially the, the first one where it says give one day a week to God and worship and rest and then the 15, spend 15 minutes a day in a faith-building discipline. These are so pivotal to learning to live and walk by the Spirit. But here's what I have to say about those things, that you can easily do those things and you can do them not from a listening place. That's what I'm talking about with, with um, make sure that you, you put yourself in a listening place, right? Because you can wake up in the morning and you can, you know, open up your Bible or you can look at your version app and you can be like, oh my gosh, the verse of the day is from Deuteronomy? Like, what am I going to get out of Deuteronomy? Like, how is God going to speak to me through that? And in that moment, you've ceased, you've done something that could be helpful, but you cease to be in a truly listening place. Or, or uh, you, you walk into church and you look and you go like, man, what's going on in this place? They're tearing stuff up. What's the matter with these leaders? And, and I'm not going to get, or, or Dion's up front again. Oh, great, it's Dion again, you know? I was hoping to hear Steve Howard or Pastor Doug. That Pastor Doug, he's good. And he is good, isn't he? I'm, we're blessed to have that guy. So grateful to have him. But maybe you show up and you're like, oh, it's Dion again. I'm not, I'm not going to. What is he going to say, that guy? 
and you're, and you're doing the stuff on the list, but you're not, you're not showing up in a listening place. See, after you ask for the Spirit, it's, it's, it's simple. You just you try to open yourself and you say, God, help me be open. I believe you have something for me and I, and I just ask you to help me by your Spirit to hear you. I'm ready. And that's kind of it. And then the third thing, uh, you, you learn to trust the one who gave his life to set you free. See, I think the greatest temptation that we have is this temptation as, as the spirit of God, as the word of God is guiding us and encouraging us to live a certain way. I think the greatest temptation that we face is this temptation that says, huh, I'm not really sure that that, that would be good for me. I'm not really sure that God has my best interests in mind. And you can go all the way back to the Garden of Eden and you can see what the evil one spoke to Adam and Eve and it was that very thing. Calling into question the, the love, the kindness, the intentions of God. And I, man, I struggle with the same thing all the time. It is, I think, the greatest temptation that we face. And so if you want to learn how to walk by the Spirit, then we have to learn how to trust the one who gave his life to set us free. See, here's the thing. No matter how much your freedom matters to you, no matter how important it is to you, here's what I can promise you. Our Father in heaven has invested more in your freedom than you ever will. Because he offered a son, he sent his son into this world. And that son willingly endured shame and persecution and hardship. He, he endured punishment. He endured a brutal, grotesque, heartbreaking death so that we could be free. So every time you wonder in the back of your mind and that voice comes in and you go, I'm not sure that if I listen to God, I'm going to end up in a good place. I'm not sure that God has my best interests in mind. I'm not sure that this would be a fun, full, whole life. Just remember what God has already done. That he has proven himself trustworthy. He has done all of that for one reason, one reason only, that you could be set free. And so can you begin to trust him day by day to keep you on the path of freedom? Even as people who talk and know so much about freedom, I think we need some humility here just to say, we, we don't understand it as much as we think we do. But God, our Father, he does. Freedom is his invention. It is his idea. It is his gift. And he's got something to teach us about it. So right now, let's humble ourselves and ask for his help. Father in heaven, we ask right now for your spirit. And you've given your spirit to us, I think, most of us. We've asked for it before. And maybe for some of us, we're asking for it for the first time. But Father, give us your spirit in increasing measure to drown out the voices of our own flesh and our desires and uh, the other ideas we have that your spirit would fill us and would be louder. That we'd hear clearly what it is that you want for us. And then Father, we pray that as we're just filled with your spirit, that you'd put us in a listening place, that we'd hear your voice and that we'd begin to trust it, that we'd be open to what you have to say and that whenever the evil one puts a doubt in our mind and we start to wonder whether you really have our best interest in mind, we'd only think to Jesus. And we'd remember what you've already given, what you've already shown, what you've already invested in our freedom and that that would help us to trust you and walk according to your spirit. 
Father, we're so grateful today that you have set us free for freedom's sake, that that's your goal, that's your purpose for us. Help us to walk in a way that truly lives out our freedom. We pray this in Jesus. Amen.